Cindy, a lot of things were impressed upon my spirit. One is all of our worship team that likes to kick their shoes off during, during worship. Every meeting in India is completely shoeless. Uh, as a sign of respect for God, they walk into the rooms barefoot. Uh, if that feels weird to you, you need to know that the Eastern culture is the culture that the Bible was written in. We are Western peoples. We don't need to adapt the Bible to our culture. We need to begin to adapt our understanding to the Bible. Otherwise, once you begin to conform the word to what your conception of what society should look like, you will have Jesus in a three-piece suit uh, driving a Ford pickup or whatever it is that you drive, and he'll have blonde hair and blue eyes and be in a movie like Jeffrey Hunter. It looks nothing like the original. It is nothing like authentic Christianity. And you rob yourself of the truth of the word because you've robbed it from its context. So I want to encourage you to begin to expand your mind and consider that Jesus was not an American. And as we do that, in Matthew 13, there is a principle that begins to be taught. We're going to be in the 44th uh, verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of God is something that is so valuable, so important, that it should feel to you like if you were strolling along somewhere and you saw something valuable hidden in a field, something so valuable that you would go sell every possession, everything in your life to be able to buy the field. In other words, the kingdom is supposed to be the most preeminent, most important, most valuable thing in your life. Well, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is when a king's dominion is recognized. Everywhere that the king is recognized as king, that is his kingdom. Anywhere the king is not recognized as the uh, monarch, the potentate of that area, then that is not the kingdom. This ought to answer the question for Christians in America that say, can he be my savior without being my lord? He is not your king if you are not doing what he says to do. The thing that is supposed to be most important in our lives, you should sell, mortgage, get rid of everything that you have to place yourself in the king's dominion at all times. He repeats it. Listen to the way he says it in the next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Did you hear the word willing to sell everything in there? It's not there. It was something so valuable that he went through all of his belongings, he pawned them all, sold them all, got rid of everything that he could obtain the kingdom, the pearls. I want to encourage you, saints, that in our lives, we begin in Christianity in this way. We know it's a radical thing usually. It's the kind of thing in most of my friends' lives that got us thrown out of our houses, kicked out of churches, all kind of things. Because we were embracing the fullness of the kingdom and we gladly accepted those kind of dishonorings because we knew we were in the kingdom. But as time goes on, you begin to acquire things. And where you had sold everything to obtain something, now you have begun to hold on to it along with many other things. It's not necessarily wrong. But over time, you have to ask yourself, if I had to do this again, would I? You know, I was 18 years old when I gave up my life, my reputation, my friends, my whatever it was that I had. The question is not, would I do it then, but would I do it now? I know people that sold everything they had and went to foreign countries 20 years ago. Fantastic. 
That is awesome. 20 years ago, you were in a great place. If you had to do it today, where would you be? See, we have to constantly be in a position of wondering if the kingdom has any rivals in our lives. Fearfully, trembling, trembling, working out our salvation so that the kingdom is always in the preeminent place. There's one thing that we ought to be able to unify around in here. It's not somebody's voice. It's not somebody's personality. It's not a certain kind of building. It's not even a doctrine. It is that the kingdom should be the first and primary objective in everybody's life. Not some place off-world that you simply go to when you die. I'm talking about something that begins in your heart now and manifests in your life all around you. There's one question you need to ask in your job, and it's not, is your boss a nice guy? It's not, are you being paid? What's your worth? The one question in your job is, am I in the kingdom while I'm here? See, the kingdom is supposed to be something that is on earth tangible now. And you say, but wait, Jesus is bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the fullness of it, but it is born in you now. The Jews were taught four kingdoms would rule and reign the earth. The first would be Babylon. The second would be Medo-Persia. The third would be Greece. The fourth would be Rome. And after that, the kingdom of God would be set up. Well, Jesus came to the Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom, and he began to speak of a kingdom without borders, a kingdom without armies, a kingdom where loyalties could not be bought. And Pilate didn't know what he was speaking of. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world if it were my people would fight. Nevertheless, the kingdom has been expanding. When Ashley fell in love with the Lord and her life began to show it, she entered into the kingdom. And now it goes everywhere she goes. When David fell in love with the Lord and his life began to show it and he shared it with other people, the kingdom was now advancing. And forceful people advanced the kingdom by force. This is not by the sword. The force is, I will dare to love you even if you're not all that lovable. I will dare to go meet with you even if every time I do you kick me in the teeth. Forceful means that the kingdom is the first thing in your life and you will force out everything else to obtain it. Not to obtain a resting place for eternity. To obtain a lifestyle, an attitude, an awareness right now. Friends, what happens in eternity is an extension of what you're doing right now. If you extend the kingdom of hell into your life and everyone else's life, disorganization, chaos, bitterness, backbiting, disunity, all of those things, then you're going to live in that for an eternity. If peace, love, joy, happiness, the Holy Ghost is what you're extending into your life and the lives of the people around you, you will live in that for an eternity. The kingdom is coming now. Some of you with good Catholic backgrounds prayed to our Father. Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the revolutionary message of Jesus. Not that you will die and go somewhere else. The revolutionary message of Jesus is that that dominion that is perfectly recognized there is being set up upon the earth now, here and now. I want to tell you that in our time, you can see something. The gospel went out from Jerusalem in every direction, but mostly it took root to the west. And the great revivals of the previous 18, 19 centuries have occurred in nations west of Jerusalem. So that in our time, America was the light on a hilltop, sending missionaries all around the world before them England was. And all around the world, the gospel expanded to the west. But in our day, we are seeing the nations of Africa, the nations of 
India, the nations of China, these are all eastern countries east of Jerusalem experiencing revival. The message of the kingdom is circling the globe. It is approaching Jerusalem from the east side. And all that stands between the advance of the gospel today and Jerusalem are the Muslim countries. The stronghold of Islam. Since this ought to direct your prayer. In order to tell us where we are in time, we are approaching a time that Jesus said, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before I return. The kingdom message must be preached everywhere. It is not an off-world message. It is a message that the kingdom can be now. You say, Eric, are you talking about amillennialism? I hope you don't even know what that is. No, I'm not speaking. There's going to be a millennial reign. I'm talking about the king's dominion born in your heart right now. It will envelop the globe the same way it envelops lives. I promise this. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. No, hang out here. I've got to read one verse to you. Look at verse 52. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. <laughs> These are not New Testament apostles he's talking about. Somebody who is well versed in the Mosaic law but understands the kingdom, is setting out before you treasures. I want you to contrast that with what the previous verses said. The previous verses said, you go sell everything that you have, get rid of your treasure to adopt a treasure. Right? You get rid of all your stuff to get a pearl. You get rid of all your stuff to get a field that has treasure in it. Here, he says, when you meet somebody that teaches about the kingdom, it's as if they're bringing out of their lives for you jewels, pearls. Isn't that amazing? Even the Older Testament is full of pearls for you. It's one contiguous revelation of God, and he's been doing something from the beginning. He gave Adam dominion over the world, and he is still giving his sons dominion, and he calls it kingdom. This is how he can say something like in um, Luke 10. I have given you authority to trample on every power of the enemy. This is how he can say those things. He is giving us his kingdom. But if you don't know it, if you don't walk in it, if you value the things you have more than the things that Jesus is giving you, it's a way of trying to live in two kingdoms and have a dual citizenship you're not allowed to have. It requires that you forsake one for the other. Well, do I have to be poor? No, but you shouldn't want any more wealth than God wants to give you. Ambition can be such a, an evil thing. And the love of money has spoiled so many. It's the root of many kinds of evils. It is a rare man, a rare woman that can handle those things well. If you have anything in your life that you would have trouble giving away tomorrow, you really need to pray about that. You need to look at it closely. Because this Bible is full of men who abandoned everything in their life for the kingdom so that there were no rivals. It was kingdom only. First Timothy is where I'd like to go. Can y'all bear with me a little while? Y'all tired? I missed you guys. It's been a whole month, and I've never been away from the church uh, that long, never been away from my family that long. My little girl said something that was so heartbreaking, it's difficult to repeat. But I told her that I would come home in a certain number of days. And then every day, Jennifer said, oh, you know, it's this many more days, this many more days. She said, I don't believe Daddy's coming home. I think he went to be with Jesus. I did go to be with Jesus. I just didn't have to die to do it. She thought I died. My little girl thought I died. When you see tsunamis 
earthquakes, meteor showers, volcanic eruptions that disrupted travel like never in the world's history. Is that not a wake up call, Sanger? Oh, yeah. That's on the other side of the earth. You know what? They don't watch TV. I hadn't, I hadn't seen a TV in a month. I tried to watch a show with Jennifer last night. I was so bored, I didn't know what to do. I hadn't been in air conditioning, hadn't been in TV. I'd been eating bread and curry. You know, that's, um, they were no more disturbed. The house that I was staying in when the tsunami hit, 50,000 people died in that area. You know whose house was not even touched with a drop of water? The Israels. Not even one drop of water. Saying, there will be a time upon this earth that will be much like Egypt. It will be dark in Egypt, but light in Goshen. The people of God, there will be a distinction made between us and the others. And one of the ways that people will know that you are a believer is not how blessed you are and how rich you are. That's absurd. Donald Trump is saved by those standards. They will know because your God answers you in an hour of need and they have no one to cry to. Your sick will get healed. Well, the things that they're trying will not work. We've spent so much time insulating ourselves from everything that hurts, everything that costs, everything that is difficult. We may have lost touch with what authentic Christianity is. Authentic Christianity is being in great need and seeing great deliverance. And we work so hard to ensure ourselves against every possible hardship that we often don't see great deliverance. So, well, what is the answer? Are you telling me to intentionally put myself in hardship no but I am telling you be willing to give your life away put it to the test find something that you love that you don't want to part ways with and go give it to somebody let your flesh feel a little bit of sting for the glory of God and you will find out whether you're dead to self or not it's so easy to say and so hard to do don't let all of your stories be 10 years ago I did this five years ago I did this let them be Last week, the Holy Ghost moved upon me, and I gave my favorite possession to somebody I didn't even know because I thought God might have been saying to do it. Are these not the stories that we were raised on, though? I mean, are they not the things that you did when you were first born again? Well, if you want to fan the flame, do them again. Do them again. You will never find yourself closer to Jesus than when you're in your greatest need, when you've given up all security, when you have divorced yourself from whatever would protect you to follow Jesus in some new, bold, daring direction. 1 Timothy 6. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Before I move any further, I know you just like me. When you hear those words, you say, well, all the things I am, I'm not rich. Well, are you rich compared to the pastor that I just met with that makes $50 in a month, who has never seen air conditioning, who has electricity occasionally? <laughs> One of the first things I noticed when I came back to the States is I could take a shower as long as I wanted to. Isn't that crazy? It's the first time I'd seen hot water in a month, and I could drink the water even in the shower. Sorry, girls, I know y'all think that's gross. <laughs> and I did. I, you know, because everywhere I'd been, the water was so dirty, it left a film on my skin, and it was so precious that you didn't shower for more than a minute or two. They baptized in a ditch, and I said, dude, I can show you how to do this in a horse trough. We do it all the time. He goes, we would never waste the water like that. How about that? By the world standards, you are rich, every one of you. And with that comes an obligation comes an obligation to do more than take care of your own needs. Listen to this. 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It is not wrong to have the things that you have if God has given them to you for your enjoyment. And there's a balance. You can be so into aestheticism that you're trying to wear burlap sacks and trying to be closer to God by hitting yourself with a whip like the idiots do in other groupings. You can go carry a cross in the Philippines and nail yourself to it. It will not do a thing to get you closer to Jesus. But you can surround yourself by comfort so much that you have no idea what it is to be familiar with the sufferings of Jesus. You have no idea what it is to be hungry and fed by God. You have no idea what it is to be in need. And you've pierced yourself with many kinds of grief because the love of money has begun to choke your life and you don't know it. Go read the parable of the sower in the Gospel of Luke. One of the things that choked out a Christian's life was wanting to acquire more things. We're in a society that doesn't do anything but acquire things. And trust me, I like some of the things in my life. It was good to put on my Walmart clothes. And one of you bought me this shirt, and I like it very much. That's why I wear it so often. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having something. There is something wrong when you would hesitate for a moment to use it in God's glory. I need to tell you a quick story. A man came to a ministry. <laughs> the ministry was Fire Evangelism School. And he told all of the students how good God had been to it. He said, you see that car out there? That is the Lord's car. He gave me that. He preached a whole message that was good. I mean, it was technically precise. He conjugated his Greek verbs right. He talked about Hebrew concepts right. And all the students were very impressed. But there was an emergency, and somebody needed to get to the airport quickly. They didn't have their car, and they said, hey, can I borrow the Lord's car? <laughs> no, he gave that to me. So is it the Lord's car or is it your car? Isn't that a great question? It is so easy to say that the things in your life are yours until the Lord needs you to use them for him. This is much like that prayer. Lord, you just tell me and I'll do anything for you, man. I'll clean toilets for you. And then somebody says, here's the brush. And you're like, you know, I don't know if that's my calling. I mean, I was talking about praying for somebody or preaching or singing. Well, what's the difference? How do you know it's for the Lord or for you? How would you know? I'm suggesting that we're so polluted by the love of things around us, it's difficult to know what is the Lord and what is us. Am I the only one that has prayed while staring at a car you'd like to buy? <laughs> I think Jesus might be giving it to me. Still had to pay the first note. I know what it is to buy something I shouldn't have to sell it. I know what it is to not have the faith to buy something that God told me. I've been on both ends of these extremes, and I'll probably spend the rest of my life working it out. The long and short of this car story is Jennifer now picks our vehicles. <laughs> Which is so uncertain to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, giving up treasure now means that we receive treasure in the kingdom. Now those people that have run around and talked about gold dust and all of the manifestations of greed in their churches, they don't call it that, but it's what it is. I want to tell you something. God is not interested in you acquiring wealth. He might be interested in using you as a distributor of his good things to the world. 
but he's not interested in your accumulation. The word of God speaks about a man who thought to himself, I need to build bigger barns, hold my bigger storehouses, and death came for him that night. Mm. It is true that everywhere the gospel goes, the people are blessed, but why are the people of God blessed? What does Genesis 12 teach us? I will be a blessing to you, Abraham. I will make you a blessing to be a blessing. Next time you find $20 and you were not praying for $20, don't go buy a movie at Blockbuster. Consider that God gave it to you because someone else needs it and you are the medium by which it will get there. Amen? Amen. This should not be revolutionary. This is basic Christianity. The reason it's revolutionary is we have been tricked into a social gospel that cares more about how padded your seats are, how comforted your ears are by the sound system, and how cool your skin is by the air conditioning than by living the authentic gospel. And when you go places where they have none of those things and you feel the power of God in a way that you rarely feel it with all of those things, you will be willing to part with them. Because having tasted the kingdom of God, I want to tell you there's nothing that can compare to it. Somebody made a bad joke with me. They said, can you, man, you better, better watch out. God will send you to a place like this. I thought I would rather be here than in your church any day. Any day. Because you've fallen into a pit called compromise. You think that your life consists of the abundance of your possessions. I would rather do without air conditioning and eat food that my stomach doesn't like every day and know that the power of God was available than to have all that you could possibly want, all the silver and gold you could amass, but not the power to do anything. So, but Eric, it is possible to have both. Yes, but it is a rare man that recognizes that and is able to do it. I want to submit to you that without a lot of practice, you will not be able to do it. It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. One man in this church described wealth with more addictive power than heroin. And it's true. We need to be careful. I'm not telling you not to have things. I'm telling you to prioritize your life correctly. Does that sound all right to you? Yes. Hear this last verse. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you need to take hold of life that is truly life, there must be another kind of life out there that is not truly the life God has for you. Do you mean in giving things away, in living a generous life, we can begin to live the life that God has for us? Well, what would be the opposite? What is the counterfeit? When you begin to think everything that comes your way was for you anyway. One is self-centered and the other is selfless. The gospel in its very heart is about selflessness. And anything that creeps into your life that makes you selfish, that makes you go, what about me? Is not Jesus. It is not him. I don't care how many famous preachers endorse it, how many books they set with it. The gospel in its core is about giving your life away, not protecting it. Turn with me to Matthew 10. I want to talk to you about desperation and expectation. Tell me when you're in Matthew 10. I can't tell you how much I missed you. I also want to tell you that during this worship service, while we were singing before the Lord, I felt God's presence as strong as I have anywhere in the world. You do not have to be in India. You do not have to be without the things that you have to feel the presence of God. But the things that we have have often hindered us. 
if you got a message next Sunday morning that said it's going to be 105 degrees today and there is no air conditioning in the church, is your first thought, well, we'll have to meet somewhere else. We'll meet at night or see them next week. See, this is what's wrong. When we need heated baptismals because we're scared of the cold weather, when we wouldn't come to church because the air conditioner's not working, we have accepted something that is not fitting for Christians. The gospel is about the sacrifice of all of your flesh's desires for the glory of the kingdom. Paul went so far after being beaten and shipwrecked and in danger of false brothers and all of those things to say something. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. didn't sound like he was sitting around whining about what he had to go through. He didn't consider it worth comparing with what was already being revealed in his life. Perhaps this is why I could be trusted with the power to be raised from the dead. Matthew 10. I just wanted you to hear this concept from Matthew 10. It'll be in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Have you ever wondered why you don't see those things very often? Are you looking for those people? Are you looking for people that are demon-possessed? Are you looking for people that have leprosy? When you see a funeral, is your very first thought, perhaps God would want to raise this person from the dead? Do you want to go hang out with sick people? Because I just went to a home where everybody in it had tuberculosis, and I noticed that several missionaries found reasons not to go inside. If you believe the kingdom is at hand and you are walking in it, act like it. How could you be scared to go pray for somebody who's sick if you were in the kingdom? If you won't wade out into the waters, you will never see his wonder, saints. I know something. I know that you may pray for people and they not get healed. I know that that's a possibility. I also know that if you never go pray for them, you will never see healing. You going to put your faith on the line or are you going to hide where it's safe? There's a mission field all around you. There are more gods in America than in India. We just call them different things. You know what there's not there? You don't see lust and perversion advertised on the streets everywhere like you do here. You don't see people who are captive to every lust of the eye in the world. You don't see it. It's not there. Their love is for foreign gods, not each other's bodies. They would be appalled just looking at our billboards here. There's every kind of demonic attachment here in the world. And there are people that need freedom from it. But you have to look for them. You can't go to Walmart just to buy bread anymore. When you go to Walmart, you need to be looking. Lord, I buy bread every day. But surely you have me here to deliver the bread of heaven to someone. And not someone else. Not, oh, well, Eric will do this. Oh, well, Bob will do that. Maybe it's Abel's job. Why not you? What makes me special? What makes me any different than you? The same Jesus who died for me died for you. The same one that called me called you. The same one that empowers me empowers you. And what is wrong with American Christianity is we lift up a great man so that he can do it all and we don't do anything except support him financially and we call it our service to God. Your money is the last thing that I want. Obviously we need certain amounts of it. But it's the last thing that I want. Your wholehearted devotion, putting the kingdom first in every area of your life, is the aim of God's fivefold ministry. 
And as you do it, we see the kingdom around us. The world will try to tame you in every possible way. Don't sing so loud. The devil will tell you you show off if you do it. If you don't do it, you'll feel convicted because the Holy Ghost is compelling you to. Don't prophesy so much. Don't talk about Jesus so much. Always working to tame you in the name of polishing you. I'm willing for you to be rugged as long as you do the will of God. So you get some of it wrong. So sometimes there's a little more of you in it than there should be. How else are you going to learn? Nobody ever learned by sitting still. You've got to take a swing at the ball, saints. You have to try. I'm proud of you that so many of you are. Don't apologize for it. Don't back up. Push forward boldly. He says, Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Jesus purposely put them in a desperate situation when they went out to minister. He didn't allow them to take a change of clothes. He didn't allow them to take any money. Wouldn't you think that they should have taken all the money they could gather so they could meet everybody's needs? People have a different need than you might realize. They need somebody who is in desperate situations receiving remarkable deliverance from God so that they see hope. We never allow ourselves to get desperate. Jesus required it before they were sent out. He required it. He took from them everything that would comfort them so they only had the kingdom to depend upon. How well would you do with that circumstance? Be careful when you answer in your heart because God will put it to the test. It's how you know if you're in his kingdom. Psalm 142 is a psalm worth reading. We're going to read verse 5. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all of your works and consider what your hands have done. I have spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. That's the wrong verse. We're in 142 verse 5. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. The reason that we love the Psalms is you can identify with the fact that David was in trouble over and over and over again. And yet he was a man after God's own heart because in his troubled times, he sought out the Lord and he saw deliverance. The sad truth is, is that it is better to be poor and in great need of God and have him meet your needs than to be rich and have no needs. But which is it that we desire to be? Why are the poor rich in faith and it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom? Why is that? Because one makes you a God to you, meeting all of your own needs, doing what you want with the things that you have, and the other puts you dependent upon a benevolent king for his mercies and grace every day. Which characterizes your life? So, well, I'm just fortunate, I'm blessed. Amen. Then be a blessing. If you've never given until it hurts... You might not be in the kingdom. If you never had to cry, stare at something, walk around, pray, come back and debate it for a while, you may not know what sacrifice is yet. For God to move powerfully in a church, 
we are all going to have to get acquainted with sacrifice. A church is not based on the generosity of a few. It is based on the sacrifice of all. I mean all is in every one of you and all is in everything that every one of us has. This is Christianity. Acts 3 is something that I want to tell you about. Turn to Acts 3. Y'all bored already? No. I've been gone a whole month. You've heard all of this excellent preaching. And now you have to endure this. Are any of you interested in Jewish culture? Yes. I have a very short amount of time left because it's important that we move to some other things. But I want to tell you some background to this. We're about to read Acts 3. You're going to hear that it is the time of prayer. There are three times of prayer in the Jewish life. One is called Shacharit. It's the morning. The second is called Mensha. It's the afternoon. And the last is called Ma Aviv, which is evening. These three prayer times go all the way back to Babylon, where Daniel was praying three times a day. And each has its very own emphasis, its own liturgy that is read, its own prayers that are prayed. And in this Mensha time, which is the afternoon prayer, it occurs around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the emphasis of it is on giving. It also starts and ends with a prayer called the Amidah. And the prayer of the Amidah speaks of God's power to heal, God's power to resurrect the dead. And every Jew, everywhere in Israel, prayed these three times, three times a day. And at three in the afternoon, they would be hearing about giving and hearing about God's power to heal. And the story picks up in the third chapter and first verse. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. This is what I'm saying is Mensha, three o'clock in the afternoon. Now a crippled man from birth was begging, I'm sorry, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. Why did they put him there? Because the people were going to hear about God's desire to help the poor. <laughs> they were going there to hear about giving and offering and God's power to heal. Seems like an opportune place to beg if you're a beggar, doesn't it? When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. The man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I want to tell you that when you are desperate enough to ask for help, when you are expectant enough to believe that you will get it, this is a perfect breeding ground for miracles. If you never allow yourself to get desperate, if you're never in a real position of need because you have always hedged your bets enough, you have always played it safe enough to insulate yourself from any real sacrifice or risk, you are also insulating yourself from the delivering power of God. You are also insulating yourself from the miraculous. Impossibility is a criteria for a miracle. But something that is greatly impossible, unfathomable, is the criteria for a great miracle. This man expected to receive something, and he was desperate enough to be out begging for it. What is your relationship like with God? Are you desperate for anything? Is there anything that you would give up friends the show for? Oh, of course I would. Eric, I'd give up American Idol. I'd give up TV. I'd give up anything. When's the last time you did? Isaiah 58. When is the last time that you denied yourself to free someone else from their burdens? 
not fasted because you wanted to hear from God, fasted because you wanted someone else to eat. Boy, Eric, I don't know any hungry. Well, praise God, your pastor is being sent around the world so I can introduce you to someone. See, this is revealing of what is and is not in our lives. Are you desperate? Peter and John did not have silver and gold. What does that tell you about their position? They valued the kingdom so much they left their nets. They left their father's businesses. They left it all to follow Jesus. It is necessary that we leave things to follow Jesus or you don't know what it is you're trusting in and your heart will lie to you. You can be clinging to something with all your heart but convinced you're free from it. You don't really know unless you try to actually separate from it. You ever seen a kid says, I'm going to go jump off the high dive? What's he do? Climbs all the way up there and he gets right at the very edge. He stands there and he... But you don't know if he's going to jump until he actually does. He was convinced in his heart when he left the seat he was going to. He was convinced when he climbed the ladder he was going to. When he walked out there he intended to, but when it comes time to park with that board, fear sets in. I'm telling you, take a leap. <coughs> take a leap of faith. It is so worth it. It's worth looking at how this man got healed. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. How did Peter learn that? He'd done it many times before. You know why he didn't have silver and gold? Because when he had it in the past, he had given it away. If he had silver and gold, think of what might have happened. The guy's begging. Peter says, hey, look, dear. Shut up, will you? Here's some money. Is that really what he needed? But the man having desperate need and Peter having no means to meet that need put him in a position to have to trust the king of the kingdom. How many times have you gone to meet somebody's need and not understood what it really was? You rescue a hot-tempered man, the word says you'll have to do it again. You don't know how many times I've gone and calmed somebody down and smoothed over the situation only to have it spring back up because I was never addressing the real need. Selfishness in your life. <laughs> uncontrollable anger, whatever it might be. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's ankles become strong. So many times we pray and we sit back and we say, well, God wants it to be done, it'll, it'll happen. Peter had to take the guy by the hand and jerk him to his feet and then his ankles became strong. Friends, there are people all over the globe that simply need a helping hand and God will make their ankles strong. It will not be you that does it. No ministry operates in the power of a man's right arm. If it does, it is flesh. It is something that God cannot glory in. But we operate out of our own weakness, out of our own fear, out of our own trembling. The requirement of every mission trip this church takes is that we come back broke, financially broke, and tired. I want to tell you our little volcano incident helped me achieve that many times over. <laughs> I was broke before my flight got delayed a week. <clears throat> but this is a chance when God's power moves. In that extra week, I saw a man who could not move his left arm or his left leg dance before Jesus. Amen. I had no more money left to give, which is what he asked for. I had no more energy, no more zeal, no more fancy <clears throat> messages left to give. All I had was the hope that my king, who placed me in his kingdom, would have mercy on the man. And he did. Amen. And he danced all over the church. Healed. Which would you rather? 
I need to close this message, and I didn't even get to Homo Thumaden, but I'll probably preach that another time. I want to close this message with this. In India, I expected to see a tiger. There's only about 1,400 tigers left in India. There's more than four times that number in zoos in the United States. They look like tigers. They may even be more well-fed than wild tigers. They don't act like tigers. They don't hunt. They don't stalk prey. They don't run. They don't do what God intended them to do. So genetically, they're tigers, but in their function, more like house cats. As I began to notice that in India, the land of the tiger, we never really saw them because they were out doing what tigers are supposed to do. But in America, you can go to any zoo in any city, anywhere in this country, and see tigers that have never done <coughs> what they're supposed to do. I realized I was seeing a picture of the church. So often, we look the part. We can even give a roar every now and then. But we've never been out of our 10 by 10 cage because if we did, we would have to hunt for ourselves. We have to depend upon God to give us things. Have we accepted a zookeeper kind of Christianity when God intended for us to be hunters? Have you traded the security of regular meals, regular paychecks, security for the very function that God called you to be on this planet for? If you will not venture outside the cage, you will never see amazing provision. Now, what is the cage? It's bar after bar after bar of blessings that are in your life that you're scared to let go of because they're <coughs> blessings. But if you don't let go of, you never move beyond where you are right now. The kingdom of God is like a man who saw pearls. He sold everything he had to obtain them. You want to be a house cat inside of a cage or the lion that God called you to be? You have to be bold somewhere. The righteous are as bold as lions. The book of Acts is full of Christians who sold everything they had for the good of others. They were so powerful that when they prayed, the ground shook. When they were all in harmony together, even Peter's shadow healed the sick. When's the last time you were in a church and you felt like that was the case? Maybe we're caged tigers. And we need to figure out how to break down those bars. Start giving away security so that you learn what it is to trust God again. We're going to stand our feet. We're going to pray. And then a courageous young woman's going to get baptized in the parking lot before everyone. We baptize in the parking lot before everyone because if your baptism is a secret, it is no baptism <coughs> at all. We're starting to apply what will now be known as the Barbie test. When little Bethany wanted to be baptized, her mom said, go get your favorite Barbie. If you're not willing to give it away, you're not ready to be baptized. Bethany said no, so she didn't get baptized. But a couple weeks later, the little girl came into her mama's room and said, Mama, here's my Barbie. I want to be baptized. Mm -hmm. This is Christianity. If you're not willing to give away a Barbie, you haven't died with Christ. Stand to your feet.
it's now noon. We're going to baptize and it'll take a little longer. Whatever is in your schedule, I imagine it's less important than seeing somebody initiate their walk with God publicly. Amen. Amen. Wednesday, we will have a missionary here from Mexico. And Sunday, I'll be back at it again with some more things for you. I never would have scheduled this much time away from the pulpit. But I believe it's been good for you and me both. It gives us a chance to all stretch, to all grow in new directions, to all trust in new areas. The devil told me I wouldn't have a church when I came back. Uh, I told you all that. I see new faces when I've come back. This is not my church. It's not Matthew's church. It belongs to Jesus. And God willing, one day, there will be other ministers here, and we will put it in your hands and walk on to the next church. Because that's what we're called to do. It's not done in America. People build their own kingdom. But as God is my witness, we will certainly do it because it is his kingdom, not ours. I encourage you to adopt that kind of lifestyle. Join hands. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that this body is full of people that have faith in their eyes. Lord, many of them are acquainted with what it means to hurt for you. Lord, you have purchased us for yourself. Nothing we could do could have atoned for our sin. But now that you've saved us, Lord, we want to work for you. Lord, teach us to walk with our maddened hands. What we couldn't do for ourselves, you've done for us. And Lord God, we want to bear the kingdom's fruit. We thank you for the baptism that will happen today. We ask you for hundreds more. Lord, we don't care about big churches, but we care about your kingdom's growth. Lord, we're asking that you would entrust us with more lives. We promise to take it seriously. We promise to care deeply about them, to pray for them, to love them, and to teach them regardless of the personal cost. Holy One, we're asking that you would impart more of your kingdom to us and teach us to give our lives away for the benefit of others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, let's go see a baptism. Amen. Hallelujah.